Hey everyone, I'm George Davis, and I want to thank you for joining us for the service of the Hershey Free Church. Uh, today we're continuing our Christmas series that's entitled Snapshots of Christmas. And what we're doing in this series is we're, we're looking at particular snapshots, particular scenes in the Christmas story in the Gospels. And, and along the way, we're really learning how our own personal stories interact with the Christmas story. Now, in introducing today's snapshot, the, the scene we're going to look at, I want to do so by asking you this question. Just think about this with me for a moment. What's a once-in-a-lifetime moment you would like to experience? What's a once-in-a-lifetime moment that you would like to experience? Just think about that for a second. What's something that's really a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you would like to experience? Uh, we'd answer, I'm sure we'd answer that in different ways. Some of us, maybe there's a person, there's a celebrity, a social influencer that I would like to meet. Or maybe you would say there's a, a certain place I'd like to go in the world, a certain trip that I would like to make, or a certain event like the Super Bowl that I would like to attend. Uh, we've probably got different things on our list, different things on our bucket list. I realize right now nothing may come to mind, but if, particularly if you're, if you're going to be hanging out with people today or having a lunchtime meal with friends or family, this, this would be a great discussion starter. You know, what's a once-in-a-lifetime moment that you would like to experience? Now, here's the reason I, I ask you this question. The, the snapshot in the Gospels that we're going to look at today really was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. It's a moment that neither you nor I will experience, and yet, I think as we look at it closely, there are ways you're actually going to find yourself in this story. And to show you what I mean, we're now going to come to Luke chapter 1. Uh, last week, we looked at John the Baptist. This week, we're going to look at his parents, and their names were Zechariah and Elizabeth. Here's how Luke introduces us to the family. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and, and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So as Luke introduces us to this couple, we're told that Zechariah is a priest and both of them really come from priestly families. Not only are we given a bit about their background, we're also told something about their character, right? They were upright, they were righteous. In fact, the, in the text, the idea that they were blameless is emphasized just based on the word. These were, they were quality people. I don't, I don't know about you, but hopefully there's some people like that in, in your life. You know, people that you, you really value their friendship, you respect them, you appreciate them, you know you can count on them. You know those kind of people? Do you know those kinds of people? That, that was uh, really Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were um, just quality people. And, and so Luke shows us, he shows us their background, he shows us their character. But, but then he also shows us what you might call their place of pain or the, the deep disappointment in their life, which was this. They, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, after introducing us to this couple, Luke then describes what you might think of as the once-in-a-lifetime moment that Zechariah was going to experience. We read that as we continue in Luke chapter 1. 
Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now here's what's going on. Let me give you a little bit of the background. Each day in the temple, during both the morning and the evening, there were times of prayer. And during these times, uh, one priest would take incense into the holy place in the temple and, uh, and, and would offer prayers really on behalf of the people. Now, at, at this time in the first century, there were approximately 20,000 priests in Israel, and one of those priests would be chosen by lot. Furthermore, apparently the practice was this. Once uh, you had been chosen, once you did this, you would never be given the opportunity to do it again. This really was a once-in-a-lifetime moment for Zechariah. And if you were a priest, think about it. If you were a priest, this, this was like your Super Bowl. This was the ultimate uh, experience experience of your service this was kind of the pinnacle of your work and role as a priest this was really the one time in your life as a priest that you would represent the entire nation before God and the one time you were allowed to go into this sacred space that represented God's presence and God's connection his relationship with his people so this was Zechariah's once in a lifetime moment and as he was soaking all this in Here's what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. So this is the announcement that they're going to have a son who will be John the Baptist. And as you read further, it's clear that he's going to have a unique role in the history of what God is doing. He will be, in different ways, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, as you see this unfold naturally, Zechariah's immediate re response was fear. And we see this throughout Scripture in these unusual moments. To, to encounter an angelic being, it's just natural to be fearful. But, of course, the angel says, uh, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your, your prayers have been heard and you're, you're going to bear a son. Now, put yourself in... Put yourself in Zechariah's place for a moment. I think this, this has to be a lot to soak in. First, remember, the, the day starts with you. Uh, you kind of engaged in this once-in-a-lifetime moment. Maybe this moment that you've, you've been hoping for and praying for all your life finally comes. And for this one moment, you get to walk into this sacred space and you're, in essence, representing an entire nation. And I, I would think you, you walk in and there's, there's a sense of responsibility. There's a sense of excitement, a sense of awe and just wonder at the majesty of God. And then the unexpected happens. You're told that after many years of waiting and longing, you're going to have a child. Now, this has to be overwhelming, right? I mean... 
if you've ever been in a situation that was this heavy, right? It's, it's just overwhelming. And sometimes in those heavy, intense moments, we, we don't respond well. And I think this was, this was true for Zechariah because notice, notice how he responds. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, as you read this, you really need to understand, I think there's, there's an edge to this. Um, it's, it's, it's like he's just been given this amazing prophecy, this amazing announcement, this amazing promise of, of God responding to his prayer. And it's like he, like, uh, he looks back at the angel and says, uh, why should I believe this? It's, it's almost like... It, it's almost like Zechariah is just kind of folding his arms in the midst of all that's going on and, and just saying, okay, prove it, prove it. Now, as we look at this, uh, again, I know it's a heavy moment and we don't always respond well in heavy moments. Uh, but given the reality of all that's going on, I think this is, this is still a shocking response from Zechariah. And, and maybe I can explain the shock value this way. Uh, I hope you had a, a good Thanksgiving for us. Our uh, family celebrated Thanksgiving with my extended family in Texas. And while we were there, uh, we were given tickets to the Dallas Cowboys Thanksgiving game. So my son John and I went to the game. And if you happen to see the game, you know it wasn't the outcome we hoped for. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we had a great time together anyway. So this is a picture uh, from that experience. Now, just think about this for a moment. Suppose after we took that picture, I looked at my son and I said, you know, you know, John, I really don't think the NFL is that big a deal anymore. Most likely he, he would have looked at me like, Dad, are you? Are you serious? What do you mean it's not a big deal? Look, look at where you are. Dad, you're, you're standing in a stadium that costs over a billion dollars. Dad, you're, you're surrounded by over 90,000 people who have come to see this game. Furthermore, as it turns out, Dad, you're in attendance in the most watched regular season game in the NFL in over 30 years. What do you mean you don't think the NFL is that big a deal anymore? Well, I mean, what, what other proof do you need? I think in a similar way, we just kind of want to say to Zechariah, Zechariah, you're, you're a priest. You, of all people, are well-versed in the history of Israel. You know the ways God has acted in the lives of people before you, people like Abraham and people like Hannah. Furthermore, Zechariah, look at where you're standing. You're in this, you're in this most sacred of spaces, this, this place that represents your nation's connection to God and his commitment to his people. And, and now you're wondering why you, you need to believe this? Zechariah, what, what more proof do you need? Now, I... I think, you know, at, at some level it can be easy to be critical of him, but I think it's more helpful. To 
how did how did he get here? I mean, how does how does how does Zachariah get to the place that in this dramatic moment he's he's just kind of leaning back and saying, "Okay, prove this." I don't believe it. How how did how does he get to a place like that? And in, in answering their, that question, I, I think there, there's a process <laughs> that Zechariah went through. And, and I think we need to pay attention to this because this is a process you and I can go through as well. And this is really a place where, as it turns out, while our stories are different, this is a place where, where our story really intersects with the Christmas story. And, and here's, here's the process I'm talking about. I think it's a process that can move from disappointment to doubt to disconnection, particularly disconnection in our relationship with God. Now, l- let me just walk you through what I think this looked like in, in Zechariah's life. How, did, how does he get, how does Zechariah get to this place, right? This place where he's standing in this holy place, yet, yet he's still kind of uh, unable to comprehend what's going on and, and the promise that's being made. How does he get to this place? Well, I think in, in some ways it, it starts with really years of disappointment. Remember, in introducing us to Zechariah, Luke was intentional in, in, in showing not only the, the places where uh, Zechariah is a man of great character, but al- actually also the deep disappointment and the source of, of really hurt in his life. They were, they were unable to have children. Now, some of you uh, have known that pain as well. Furthermore, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this just wasn't, I think, a source of pain and disappointment. It was also a source of shame. Because, you see, in their context... Um, in their context, many believed that if you were unable to have children, it, it, was, it was a result of your own disobedience. It was, it was because of something you had done. And this is one of the reasons Luke is very emphatic in saying, no, these people were blameless. They were, they're godly people. And yet, for years, they had lived in, in a context where people just kind of looked at them with just a certain sense, you probably have done something wrong. So there was, there was a stigma attached to what Zechariah had experienced, right? And so he's, he's a godly man, but there's this source, this place of deep disappointment, deep pain, and, and even a source of shame. And I think you might say there, there was a weightiness in his waiting. For years he had been waiting. For years he had dealt with disappointment, pain, and shame. Last week as we started this series, uh, we really started by talking about this theme of waiting that's part of the Christmas story, the reality of waiting. And, And one of the things we did was we asked people who were here to write down on sticky notes things that they were waiting for. And, and they're up in the, the back part of our sanctuary. I encourage you when you're on campus to take a look. We're going we're gonna to leave those up during the Christmas season. And this week I, I spent some time just reading those. And, and of course some, are, some are, are encouraging, right? I'm waiting for the birth of a child. But to be honest with you, many, many of the things that people wrote, people like you wrote, were hard to read. They're hard to read because they're heavy things. They're weighty things. 
I'm waiting for something to change in a relationship that is now estranged. I'm waiting for my marriage to change, and I'm not sure it ever will. For one person, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to be valued, waiting to be loved. And the truth is, if, if, if you're in a season of waiting right now, it, it, that season can be filled with disappointment. Sometimes I think it's, it's disappointment with ourselves, right? I mean, maybe we're, we've gotten stuck in some unhealthy habits, maybe even over the last year and a half with all that we've gone through. There, there's some unhealthy habits that have crept in and we're disappointed with ourselves. Habits like pornography, unhealthy patterns of thinking. Or maybe for you there really is a deep source of shame, kind of like Zechariah. Maybe it's, it's even something that few people know about, something from your past, something that you've done or something done to you. And, and with that shame comes disappointment. Of course, I think this, these seasons of waiting, these hard seasons that come with disappointment can also be seasons where we're disappointed with God. I mean, with, with that disappointment can come just a certain sense of where is God in this? And that disappointment can, can lead to doubt, questions. Why did this happen? Why is this happening? Where are you? And I think for many people, that for, for instance, if you were here last week and you, you were writing down something on one of those sticky notes, I'm, I'm sure for many of you, even as you're putting the, the sticky notes on the back wall, there are just certain questions, even doubts that go along with that experience. And it, it, that's the case. I think Zechariah really stands right there with you. I can only wonder the kinds of questions and doubts he wrestled with over the years. You know, why was this happening to us? Why would a couple who dedicated their life to serving God experience infertility? And the truth is, I think over time, the disappointments that produce doubts and questions and uncertainty can also foster disconnection, particularly disconnection in our relationship with God. You know, as I read this story, uh, there are a lot of questions I have, and and uh, I'll be honest, there's one of the questions I have is, is, it's just not answered in the text, but that question is this. As you see the scene unfold, uh, when was the last time Zachariah actually prayed about having a child? Now, there's no question, right, that, I mean, the angel says, look, your prayer has been answered, and I think many would say, well, that he's just been praying in the temple, and that's true. But I think most likely as he's praying in the temple, I mean, he feels the weight, the responsibility of praying for the nation. That was part of what this time of the morning, this time in the evening was about, prayers for the nation. So I think, I actually think it's most likely that as he was bringing that incense in, he was, he was praying for his people. He was praying, right, for deliverance from the foreign powers of Rome praying for God to fulfill his promises that he has made to the nation. And I actually wonder, I can't prove this, so take this for what it's worth, but I do wonder 
if it, if it had actually been years, maybe even decades, since he had prayed for a child. And I wonder that because, again, notice his immediate response. I mean, his immediate his immediate response just assumes that a child is out of the question. Of course we can't have a child because we're both old. Look at us. I'm not getting any younger. And, and yes, there once was a season when we could have had children, and there once was a season when I was praying for that. But that season has passed. Again, I'm reading between the lines here, but, but I wonder if this is, is what happened. Zechariah had been faithful. I mean, it's not like he walked away from God or his responsibility just because of this source of disappointment. Luke clearly says, you know, look, he's been faithful. He's been observant. He's, he's been blameless. Nonetheless, I wonder if in some sense there's a disconnect that hadn't developed in his relationship with God. Yes, he still prayed. Yes, he still worshipped. He was a faithful priest. But over time, I wonder if he lost sight of the reality that while God was keeping his promises to the nation, that he could actually also be at work in Zechariah's life as well. And arguably the problem for Zechariah, the mistake that he made was this. He assumed that since God was not working according to his agenda, to his timetable, was, he was not working at all. And, and I, think this, I think this created a, a certain disconnect for Zechariah. Yes, he believed God was faithful to Israel and his promises. He believed that God would send a Savior. But he also lost sight of the fact that God could be at work in his life as well. And see, the truth is, you and I can find ourselves in this very same process. You, you and I can deal with experiences of, of disappointments, often beyond our control, that, that cause us to ask questions and create uncertainty, questions about ourselves, but also questions about God. And, and over time, those questions can just kind of foster a disconnection, a disconnection where maybe, maybe we just walk away, but, but maybe we don't walk away. We're, we're still involved in church. We're still engaged in prayer and doing certain things, but there's this growing disconnection because somehow we've lost sight that God can actually be work at, uh, in our lives as well. We can find ourselves, for instance, saying, you know what, I believe, I believe in God. I believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. I believe that, that he has forgiven me of my sin, but right now I'm just not sure he can work in this situation. This is something I'm going to have to handle on my own. This is a situation I have to deal with just by myself. And when we do that, it just creates a disconnect, a disconnect in that relationship. I think, among other things, it, it can, it's a disconnection, really, <laughs> that can be e evident in our prayers. 
I mean, when, when this disconnection creeps in, I, I can find myself maybe becoming more routine in my prayers. I'm still praying to God, but maybe I'm not really truthful with God. I'm not really bringing to God the things that are on my heart and in my mind, the things that I'm really wrestling with. I'm just kind of going through the motion. Maybe I find myself coming to church or engaging in other conversations with Christians, but there's still this disconnect in terms of how I'm thinking about God at work in my life. And of course, I think over time that disconnection with God can can also lead and create disconnection with others and even vice versa because our our relationship with God affects the relationships we have with others and our vitality in that relationship with God affects the vitality of our relationship with others. So even though Zechariah's experience is very different, it's not to be repeated, there's still the reality that we too can find ourselves in this story. The reality of disappointments that lead to doubt and questions that foster a disconnection. So then the question is, so how do we, how do we avoid getting stuck in this process? Well, the reality is I don't think we can avoid disappointment. I think that's a part of life and human experience. And uh, I think the older we live, the more we, we encounter those situations that at times are frustrating and difficult. We, we experience at times more challenges in relationships. Even over the last two years, there have been things that have happened to us that have been sources of disappointment and frustration. I, I think this is a part of being human, and I, I don't think you get away from that experience. Well, then maybe we would say, okay, yeah, you can be disappointed, but you can just never doubt. And once again, I would say I think the Bible argues differently. Because I, I read the Bible, and as I read the Bible, I, I see instances of people that are honestly wrestling with doubt. It's not that doubt isn't a part of the journey of following God or following Christ. All you have to do is read the lament psalms where people are questioning God. God, how long is this going to happen? Or why are you allowing this to happen? And you see people being honest with God about their frustrations and their doubts and their questions. So I don't, I, don't think the, I don't think the goal is to necessarily avoid doubt. The issue is what do we do with it when it comes? What do we do with these questions that flow out of our disappointments? And the truth is, on the one hand, one hand we, can, we can just kind of cross our arms and walk away. And at some level, I think that was kind of what Zechariah was doing, just backing up going, yeah, just prove this to me. Or we can let our doubts cause us to seek answers. We can let our doubts really cause us to to seek God's presence. And I think at this moment, we can either draw back or we can draw near. And, And I think that's a lesson that Zechariah had to learn in this process. In fact, notice what happens next, right? After this initial interaction with the angel, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, which you refuse to believe. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day of this happens, because you did not believe my words, 
which will come true at their appointed time. Now, on the one hand, we can, we can, you know, we can just look at this as punishment, right? I mean, he didn't believe God, and he got punished. He had to deal with the consequences. Zechariah, you're not going to be able to speak until your son is born. I realize we can just look at this as punishment, but I actually think there's more going on here. I actually think this wasn't simply <laughs> a season of punishment. It was a season of training and growth and development. And here's the reason I say that. Look at how Zechariah responds once his speech is restored, once, once his son is born. What does he say? It says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Zechariah doesn't just kind of regain his speech and say, man, I'm glad that's over. I'll never make that mistake again. I think what becomes clear in the song of Zechariah that you read in Luke chapter 1 is this. This season of silence for him, this season of waiting, had become a season of, of really growth. God was at work in his life. Zechariah had a, a new perspective, a new awareness and I think a, a kind of a deeper awareness. You know what? God wasn't simply at work fulfilling this grand plan of salvation and his promise to the nation. God was also at work in his life. And you know, that's a lesson we need to learn as well. Even as we celebrate Christmas, I need to recognize that, that if God is faithful in the Christmas story, I can trust him with my story. Do you believe that? I mean, if God is faithful in the Christmas story, I can trust him with my story. Interestingly, as you, as you read the, the song of Zechariah, um, Zechariah celebrates both God's work at, kind of at a, at, a, at a large level, the plan of redemption, but then he also celebrates what God is going to do through his son through the birth of John the Baptist. And as he does this, one of the things Zechariah highlights is God's mercy. For instance, as you get toward the end, here's what Zechariah says God is going to do. That, you know, John the Baptist is, is the forerunner to this amazing message of what God is doing. And, and he says all of what's going on now, it, it results from the tender mercy of our God. And and. And the evidence of that mercy is that God is sending his son, and I think that's the allusion here to the rising sun, who will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, I, d I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of God's mercy. Perhaps you think of forgiveness or perhaps means God think well you know what God's mercy means that God is going to make my circumstances be uncomplicated and go the right way but Zechariah highlights the theme of mercy and God's mercy in this song I think he's come to a deeper understanding that God's mercy means God will meet us at our point of need right God has met us in our need for salvation 
through the gift of Jesus Christ. And now, as followers of Christ, we can continue to experience that mercy of God meeting us at our point of need and walking with us all along the way. This is what God has done through the gift of Jesus Christ, and, and this is what he can do in your life right now. He can, he can meet you where you are. Even if in this moment right now, because of things you're going through, because of what you're waiting for, it feels like you're living in darkness. Maybe that even you're living under the shadow of death. God's mercy means that he can meet us to guide our feet into the path of peace or the path of wholeness. But to live in that mercy, you have to draw near. In the midst of the disappointment and doubt, you can't just, you can't draw back. You have to draw near. This is what Hebrews reminds us of, right? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, for those of, of you who don't know Christ yet, starting to live in this mercy, starting to draw near to God begins by acknowledging your own need of salvation and deliverance and forgiveness and restoration and, and putting your faith in God. For those of us who are starting or have already started this journey, I think taking this seriously means in those hard places where it's easy for doubt to creep in, to allow that doubt to really drive us to God. We go with questions. We go with uncertainty, but we are still pursuing him and pursuing his mercy. We don't just kind of simply walk away. We don't just fold our arms. We go to him. Father, I'm wrestling with this. This is hard. I'm not sure where you're at, but I want to live in response to your mercy. So make me attuned to the ways you are seeking to meet me right where I'm at in this situation. Don't draw back. Draw near. Even as a church, I think this is where we're at right now as we prepare to go into the new year. As our elders have been thinking and planning as we move forward, as we're coming out of COVID, as we're having to make adjustments and think differently. They, uh, as, an, as a collective elder team, we just recognize this needs to be a season when we draw near. <laughs> season when we don't draw back, but a season when we draw near. And so with that in mind, even as we start the new year, I'm going to invite you to to do two things, invite you to join us in the study of the life of Jesus and love this book, part three. And, and as part of that, I'm also going to invite you to an intentional season of prayer as we begin the year. So don't draw back, draw near. You, you don't have to be stuck in that process of disappointment that fosters doubt that then over time leads to disconnection. With that in mind, just acknowledging the importance of, of drawing near, I just, I want to close in prayer, and I, I, I specifically want to pray for some of you right now that, that maybe it, it really does feel like you're in this sense of waiting, or I'm, I'm in this hard situation, and I'm dealing with these frustrations, and they've led to all sorts of questions. And I want to pray for you that even now, that th this hard season, this difficult season can also be a season where in new and different ways you experience God meeting you right where you're at. But for that to be the case, you, you need to draw near. So with that in mind, let's pray together. 
Gracious God, as we come to this story of Zechariah, uh, we come to a very unusual scene, uh, really a once-in-a-lifetime scene in the pages of Scripture. It was a once-in-a-lifetime moment in, in the life of Zechariah. It's so different from our life experience. And yet I think in reality, there really are places where our story intersects with his story. And there are, for some of us, just the realities that we are, we've kind of found ourselves in the same process of disappointment to doubt to disconnection. And Father, the truth is there's some of us right now that have had to deal with stuff that has been deeply painful or weighty or fear-producing, anxiety-producing, and with that disappointment has just come certain doubts, doubts about ourselves how are we going to make it? Are we up to the task? Doubts where we're always wondering, what have I done wrong? And doubts about you. And Father, I pray that as we kind of wrestle with those questions, those hard things, that, that we'd be open not simply to drawing back and crossing our arms or walking away, but I pray we would draw near. And Father, I pray particularly right now for those going through those seasons of disappointment or those seasons of waiting. I pray that in different ways you would make your mercy known to them. And I thank you that the reality of your mercy means that we are known and we are loved. And I pray for people in our church community that that would be what they could experience. Because, Father, even as this book de describes, uh, some of us feel like we are in the shadow of death. We feel that we are in darkness. We don't know how this situation uh, is going to resolve, or we don't know how to engage a situation that is hard but doesn't seem like change is going to be part of the story. So I pray in the midst of those realities that, that your light would shine, that there would be people you bring into our lives that help us think about positive next steps. I pray that, that your mercy and your willingness to meet us in that point of need would, would be evident in transparent, in tangible ways. And I pray that you would give us guidance and direction. And I pray for boldness in following that direction because some of us, part of the reason we're stuck in the darkness is there's certain steps we are unwilling to take. So I pray that your, your spirit would just nudge us to move forward so that we could experience your peace, your wholeness, your restoration. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I want to thank you for joining us for this Christmas message. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas as we're working our way toward the Christmas season and, and moving toward the celebration of Christmas. And particularly for those who kind of are in those hard seasons or hard places challenge to you. Don't draw back. Draw near. Don't draw back. Draw near.